good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So please turn in the Word of God again tonight to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah 12, the last time uh, we were together, we commenced uh, our consideration of this uh, portion of God's Word from the verse number 27. It is dealing with the subject of the the dedication of the wall at Jerusalem. So Nehemiah 12 and verse 27, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries and with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Netophthathai, also from the house of Gilgal, and out of the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had builded them villages round about Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and purified the people and the gates and the wall. And then down to verse number 43, Again, describing the day, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. And at that time were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings, for the first fruits, and for the tithes, to gather into them out of the fields of the cities, the portions of the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced for the priests and for the Levites that waited. And both the singers and the porters kept the ward of their God and the ward of the purification, according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, they were chief of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the portions of the singers and the porters every day as portion. And they sanctified holy things unto the Levites. And the Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. Verse 43 is a, is a very important text in this section of Scripture. And it makes it abundantly clear that the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem was marked by joy. It is the Lord's will that we be a joyful people. We shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't, uh, again, tolerate in our hearts a lack of joy. It is through Paul that God commands us to rejoice always. And that means that no matter our outward circumstances, we are commanded to walk in the joy of the Lord. Christ prayed for his disciples in John 17, uh, and now I ca- now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The disciples, those whom Christ is addressing in that prayer, they would have seasons of trial and trouble. Yet they would know God's or Christ's joy fulfilled in them. And the joy that we see experienced in this particular portion, so here in Nehemiah chapter 12, the joy that we see experienced here 
It is very helpful, I believe, in understanding joy in the context of the whole Bible and the Christian life. Last time we noted the origination of their joy. Verse 43, it is God that made them rejoice, not only in his works, but also in his work in them. So they could see the works outside of themselves and they were joyful. But the joy they knew only comes because God also worked in their hearts. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And true spiritual joy is originated by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. The occasion of their joy we also saw, and that was the dedication of the walls. But we saw particularly how they come to meet at the house of God. Verse number 40, so stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me. And so the walls were constructed for the the safety and the well-being of the worship of God in the temple, and indeed the proclamation of the gospel through the temple ceremonies. And so their joy leads forward into the New Testament, where we see those rejoicing, and they are rejoicing in the truth of Christ. It is the word of Christ that dwells in us richly, whereby we then come to sing in joy in Colossians chapter 3. So tonight, moving on, I want to consider the expression of their joy. Joy is here expressed in public worship, and especially in this passage in the area of song. Verse 27 And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. So you have the description here of the dedication that that involved gladness. That's the attitude. This is the dedication of, of joy. Thanksgiving, uh, that may well have referred to the prayers or or the sacrifices. But then you have this description of with singing. The singers are being gathered, verse 28, and the sons of the singers gathered themselves together. And you'll see in these verses, there is a repetition of the, the subject of singing and the work of these people known as the singers. Singing is going to be a key element of the worship of God in this particular occasion. One commentator says this, and it's helpful. Singing has always been a striking feature of the worship of God's Old Testament and New Testament people. You may not have fully appreciated this, but singing is not central in most world religions. It is unique in its form to the Christian church. It is only in Christ that sinners become singers. There may be some who have natural gifts to sing, but in terms of the singing that honors God, it is only in Christ that sinners come to know this heartfelt joy and then express that joy in collective singing. And so tonight I want to spend virtually the, uh, the entire message, I want, to, I want to think about this subject of gospel singing. I want to look at the subject in light of this passage and then see, well, what does it teach us regarding our singing and the singing in the rest of the scriptures? So I have a number of questions to ask. Why were they singing? Well, we've noted already that this was an occasion of gladness. And singing in the Bible truly arises due to joy in the Lord, especially joy in the work of redemption. 
And if we're to sing in the biblical sense, we need to know this redemptive joy. Singing that is not marked by joy is not Christ-like singing. There must be joy. And even as, even as we may sing the psalms of lament, even in those psalms, and you read those sorrowful psalms, even there, you will see the joy of trusting in God. And so even though some of the psalms are, are soul-searching, there is still that heartbeat of joy in God's reliability. Yes, our joyfulness is not to be the only mark of our singing. We are, according to Psalm 2, we are to rejoice with trembling. But joy should mark our singing. And if it doesn't, then we must examine our hearts and search our souls. You see, turn please, uh, turn please to Psalm 92. Let's look at this together in the Psalter. And the Psalter, of course, is the, the songbook of God's people. And in the Psalm 92, a psalm that is written for the Sabbath day, therefore immediately takes us to the, the idea of public worship. And the psalmist begins in, in that opening verse, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. Upon instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound for thy Lord, hast made me glad through thy work, and I will triumph in the works of thy hands. So you see the, uh, the merit that there is in singing. This is a good thing. You also see in verse number four that that singing has in its core gladness through the work of God. And so, so here we see, we see, we see praise. Praise based upon the, the nature of God, his works, his loving kindness, his faithfulness. These are the things, the attributes of God that generate praise in our soul. But there's gladness in the psalmist's heart. Verse 4, thy Lord has made me glad through thy work. You see also over in the Psalm 95, turn there, Psalm 95 over the page in my Bible. And the verse number 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. Again, you see that there's a, a reason for the singing. And that again is in the nature and the character and the attributes of God. But the singing that is practiced is not dull and lifeless. It is joyful in its essence. And that is clearly what must be true in the public worship of God. But what you see in some of the Psalms, and we, you see it throughout the book, is that some of the Psalms reflect upon the joyfulness, just in light of God's faithfulness in a corporate sense. They, they see the faithfulness of God in, in his work in the nation, and in creation and providence and such things. But there's also joy in the personal work of God. Turn back now to Psalm 30. So you see the joy that is found in God's uh, nature and attributes, but there's also this, this, this joy that's found in, in God's dealing with us personally. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. 
Then verse number 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. The experience of the psalmist here is a reflection on his spiritual journey. When the Spirit of God comes in our souls, there's, there's conviction of sin, there's sadness and sorrow and a reflectiveness. Um, part of that is a, is, a, is a lamenting and a burdened soul. There is mourning, verse 11. Sackcloth. But yet in redemption, when God brings up our soul from the grave, verse number 3, then there's a turning of that mourning into dancing. And there's a change of sackcloth into gladness. Whereby, verse number four, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment in his favor his life, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There's more to this psalm than simply the matter of, of salvation. This experience of the psalmist is it's sometimes the portion of God's people in times of particular trial and perplexity. But there is, there is undoubtedly, there is undoubtedly a, an idea here of, of salvation and conversion. And that's true when you think about the psalm. For I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the mighty clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto your God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. One of the challenges that the people of God always face in the church at all times is that when they come together, they would sing with joy and gladness. And so when the ungodly would come into the midst, they would see a people who are glad in their God and happy in their God. And that's Sadly, sadly the case. Sometimes we sing and the ungodly would not see joy and discern joy in our corporate worship. And there are various reasons. People are often very self-conscious and consider their, their, the sound of their voice and they don't want to be, to be heard in the, in the midst. But truth be told, some of God's people, they don't sing because they're backslidden in heart. And they're never in the scriptures. And therefore they're not in the Bible to see the well, the, the being of God and his attributes. And therefore they, they don't have that fuel in their fire to ignite and to burn in gospel singing. And God is so far removed from them when they come to the house of God. You, you can't just suddenly start it off. It's gotta, it's gotta be there before you get in this place. It's also true for others. They, they cannot sing praise because they don't know this joy. Because they haven't known the change from mourning into joy. And they're not saved. We've got a new song in our hearts. A new song in my mouth, verse number three. Even praise unto your God. And the Psalm 32 referred to, or the Psalm 30, sorry, referred to the, the glory. That my glory would sing. In Psalm 30 and the verse number 12, it was, To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee. I tell you all, please, please heed me very carefully. You are not an animal. 
You are a human being made in the image of God. And God has given you the ability to express verbally thoughts concerning himself. And therefore the psalmist can refer to your tongue as your glory. It sets you apart as being something distinct. And when the people and when the, 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 the humanity will not praise God, they're behaving like the animals. And they're denying their glory. Now you give God praise with your, uh, with, with your voracious appetite to take his gifts. But it's your glory to sing praise to his name. And therefore do not stoop to the level of the animal. When God has given you a glory to sing his praise. And so the joy that comes in redemption and reflecting on God's character then is expressed, is expressed in the form of singing. But the second thing to notice, who is singing here? So back, back in Nehemiah chapter 12, and there's, a, there's various references to these singers. I think to be honest and to be fair to the passage, those who do the singing here were those whom God had appointed to sing. This was the duty of the Levites and the singers, this was God's, uh, this was the, their God-given role. All the people rejoiced, but it seems to me that all did not sing. This is part of the ceremonial aspect of Old Testament worship. God had ordained choirs of priests to be the appointed leaders of God's worship. Now, the people at times clearly all sang. The songs of ascent give that idea of people singing in pilgrimage. But in public worship, please be clear on this, in public worship, choirs were the means ordained of God for singing. And I can show you that. Turn back to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 5. There's this description of Levites, which were the singers, verse 12. And then Second Chronicles and the chapter 29 and the verse number 28, where it says here even more clearly, and all the congregation worshipped and the singer sang and the trumpeter sounded. So it is my suggestion to you that those who were responsible to sing in public worship in the Old Testament were those who were appointed of God, arrayed in white linen, anointed and purified. And that aspect of purification is mentioned in verse 30. And they were the appointed ones to sing praises to God. All of this points forward to those who must sing now in the New Testament are those who are appointed to sing. 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse number 9, it tells us that the people of God are a royal priesthood, that ye should show forth the praises. It is the duty of the entire priesthood to offer public praise to God. It comes from the Reformation understanding of the priesthood of all believers. And when I come to the house of God, I want to sing the praises of God. And so we all have that responsibility. And so when you come to the New Testament epistles, you will find nowhere in the New Testament epistles instructions as to what the soloist should do or the choir should do. You've instructions in the New Testament epistles regarding how the church should sing. You've got that in Ephesians chapter 5. We, we read these verses last time we were together. Ephesians 5 and the verse number 19. What it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Also Colossians chapter 3, a very, very similar portion. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And what is significant about both those verses, those central verses that deal with New Testament singing, is they both use the term one another or speaking to yourselves. And the idea is that in corporate worship, you talk to me and I talk to you. And we teach each other. It's not that I stand at the front and sing to you without you responding. It's a reciprocal pronoun. And has the idea of all parties being involved in the exercise. We all teach each other. And we all admonish each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're all involved in teaching and admonishing one another. And so we do it as those who are dressed in white linen. We do it as those who are purified and set apart and appointed of God. And therefore, for a Christian not to sing is to deny their God-given priesthood. For a child of God not to exercise their right is to undermine the value of what God has done for them in the New Testament age. That we are all appointed as priests unto God, a royal priesthood, that we should show forth the praises of his name. Sadly, modern worship in the contemporary Christian music scene, worship is all about spectating others singing for you. And if you weren't to sing, it would make no difference. The amplifiers are set at such a level that you could stand there and sing and it wouldn't be heard. But in God-honoring worship, it matters when all the people sing. Very, very important. It's a gathering of priests We all gather as priests unto God with joy to sing congregational worship. So that's something of the who sings here. Now, what do they sing? Well, very quickly, this is very obvious. They they sing words. The Psalms was the hymn book of the Old Testament people. I do believe, I'm not going to the subject tonight, but I believe when you get to the New Testament, there are examples of New Testament hymns. So the Psalter is not the restricted hymn book. Uh, There is, I believe, there is new New songs in the New Testament, which give us, I believe, the permission to write new God-honoring, Christ-centered songs. Songs that focus on God and redemption. Singing is the expression of joy. Joy that comes from thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that comes from the truth of God in redemption. And therefore, our our gospel songs, they must be gospel-steeped, Christ-centered, blood-preaching hymns. Whereby redemption is exalted in our praise. But if that's what they sing, well, how did they sing? Well, we're not told uh, in terms of the, the tunes they used, but we are shown that their words were accompanied with instruments. Verse 27. They were singing with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. Verse number 36. And his brethren... Shemaiah, Azrael, etc., with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. So there were instruments involved in their singing. These instruments are described as the instruments of David, the man of God. And you've got the other reference there in verse number 45, that the singers and the porters, they kept the word of their God according to the commandment of David. So what we see here. It's not worship that is spontaneous, haphazard, but rather that is worship that is regulated by the word of God. Worship that has the a command of David, and the command of God over how it was conducted. 
Worship must always be regulated by the word of God. It must be in spirit and in truth. Paul condemns will worship in Colossians chapter 2, the idea that we can invent our own worship. And in the New Testament, when you take this and you bring it into the New Testament, you will see that worship is particularly offered in song. And whilst we permit accompaniment, for good reasons, the focus must always be on the congregational singing. It is the sacrifice of lips in Hebrews chapter 13. It is with singing in Colossians chapter 3. It is with singing with understanding in 1 Corinthians 14. And yes, there are no mention of instruments in the New Testament scriptures. So therefore, if we choose in our liberty to use instrumentation, we must make sure that our instrumentation is an aid to our singing and not a hindrance to it. Music must not be an end to itself. In God's word, it is how we sing and what we sing that holds first place. So we've seen some of the why they sing, who sings, what they sing, how they sing. Well, what do they sing with? Well, it's interesting, verse number 43, there's a reference to sacrifice. That they sing with the sacrifices. I think that it reminds us again that the singing was offered on the ground of sacrifice. Our singing is acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. All of our worship is accepted because we are accepted in the beloved. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. So therefore the worship of sinful man comes to God on the virtue of sacrifice. Hebrews 13 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. We've got to make sure we do all we can to uphold biblical worship in this place. And whenever the danger that that worship would be corrupted in content or in form, we've got to do all we can that we seek to continue the right way and the right methods and the right words whereby that we will offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It is our duty and it is our privilege as priests unto God to be part of the public worship of his name. It's a hot topic, this. Subject to debate, division throughout the centuries. May God help us to keep Christ in the center and to worship with reverent joy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.